This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Erica Anderson, and today my guest is Lila Rose. She's the founder and president of the massive pro-life organization, Live Action. Lila founded this organization when she was only 15 years old, and it's grown into an incredibly powerful advocacy group that's truly making an impact on the issue of life. Now, I don't usually talk directly about controversial issues here on the podcast, but having Lila on, I knew we'd get into the nitty-gritty of the abortion debate. If you know me at all, you know I'm a passionate pro-lifer. So Lila and I discussed the issue as two people really on the same page here. I'll be honest, I always get a little bit nervous speaking about issues like this because I often don't feel like I do them justice, and I also just don't want to drive people away. But I'm going to move past my fear and discomfort because I was so grateful to have the chance to sneak in a few minutes of conversation with Lila, who is truly in this for the right reasons. I don't know how she maintains her strength in the face of very callous discourse these days, but she does it well. And it was fascinating to get a peek into her head for just a little bit. I know you'll enjoy this conversation with Lila Rose. So here you go. All right, Lila, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast tonight. Thanks for having me, Erica. So you have a lot of really exciting things going on right now. Um, we'll start with the first one um, that came out. I think it just came out today. You're, you just launched a new podcast. Yes. Yes. I joined the podcasting world. That is <laughs> so, exciting. Yeah. Just launched it yesterday. The Lila Rose podcast and, or the Lila Rose show. Sorry. It is a podcast and um, it's going to, we're going to talk of the first episode. There's a teaser in the first episodes on dating, but it's on everything from relationships and identity and purpose, faith, but then also talking about cultural and political issues. So really the whole gamut and my, the focus is what, what do we do? How do we live the best lives that we can? And that's always what I'm interested in is how do we live lives that are full of meaning and that can contribute to the world and learn more about ourselves and our place in the universe. So that will be the, the, the journey of the podcast to ask those questions and interview people about it and hopefully have some fun along the way. Will it feel a little strange to kind of move away from the abortion topic after being that being such the focus for you for so many years? Well, it still is a huge focus. I mean, I, I still will continue leading live action and will continue to grow the pro-life movement. But what I've seen is that the issue of abortion doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's just a sign of so many other things that have gone wrong in a culture. And that's something I'm really passionate about is understanding the why. You know, how did it get to the point where we have almost a million abortions a year. You know, what is, what's gone wrong? And what, what I've discovered is it's an identity crisis. It's relationship breakdown. It's people not understanding their own value. So the podcast, the goal is to really, again, help people learn and myself in the, in the process, how do we live the best lives we can? Because the anecdote, the anecdote, the ultimate antidote to abortion is people that are living lives of love and, they feel the love of their of God in their in their hearts. They can share that love with others. They know their love. They know that they were made for love. If you have that conviction, abortion is not even a question yeah. <laughs> for you. So it really, I see them as as going together. 
Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of, you know, great news, you also recently announced that you're pregnant. So congratulations on that. Thank you. We are we are very excited. I'm super excited. Are you married, Erica? I am married. I have two kids that are three okay. and just turned one, so very tiny. So you've been there. You I've, know, I've you know been the, there. You know the pregnancy, pregnancy oh, yeah. life. Are you in second trimester now? First trimester still, ninth week. And um, yeah, it, the whole nausea exhaustion thing, I did not expect oh, that's a, it. <laughs> yeah, you're in a rough spot right now. I Hopefully you're able to... <laughs> Gosh, hopefully you're getting through the days. I am. I've got a great husband and a great team. So, you know, taking it one day at a time. And some days are better than others. I don't know. I mean, I'm so impressed by moms who have a ton of other kids or have other children and then they're they're pregnant because then you have other, you know, other responsibilities, of course, on top of that, I'm sure. But it gives me a whole new appreciation for motherhood to, to be on the journey myself. Yeah. And so when you found out you were pregnant, did you decide that you were just going to announce right away? I wanted to announce. I mean, I started telling people very soon after we found out because I was so excited. Um, and then we decided to tell, you know, make it more public within just, I think, three weeks because we... We just, our, our perspective as a couple, my husband and I, this is a human life, of course. You know, that's the work I'm, like, I've been involved yes. in. And it, God forbid, you know, I know a lot of the reason people delay is because of miscarriage. They're afraid that they'll face that that tragedy and, and having to communicate about that. But I felt very healthy, first of all, being so nauseous. That's a good sign of a healthy pregnancy. Definitely, yeah. You know, had, my, had my first ultrasound, um, saw the, heard the heartbeat. So I felt confident about sharing about this little one's life and you know, I, I want to include other people on the journey because this is something I've been talking about for years, you know, the value of yeah. So getting to share a little bit of the story of my baby is just a privilege. So that's, that's why I was excited to share on the earlier side. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, I, you always hear when you're first pregnant, oh, you know, you're not supposed to share because, because of that, um, reason that you mentioned, but I, like you, I was so excited both times that I didn't really share on social media until like 11 weeks or so, but I literally was just telling everyone I, you know, (laughs) like I couldn't, I was like, I can't hide it. Like, it's just, I'm way too happy about this. There's just no way to keep it inside. So I completely relate to that desire to kind of get it out there. Um, now I want to talk with you about live action. I was kind of doing some research today and I was, I knew you founded it really young, but I read that you founded it when you were only 15. Yes. Yes. Started live action when I was 15 and it was really a result of learning about abortion, feeling very convicted. This is seeing it as the greatest human rights issue of our day and looking, I was born and raised in San Jose, California. There were abortion clinics everywhere, an abortion clinic, a big Planned Parenthood, just 10 miles from where I grew up. And when I learned about all that, learned about the abortion rate, learned about how legal it is and how culturally accepted it had become, I felt very strongly, this is this is our human rights issue. This, there's nothing more important than protecting the right of, to life of the child. And so even though I was very young at the time, I felt like I want to use my life for something meaningful. I want to give it to a cause. This is the greatest cause I could give it to. And so here we go. Let's start a pro-life organization. And and it wasn't intended to be a national or international group at the time. It was just intended to educate my community. And that's where we started. Live Action started by doing pro-life presentations about abortion and also about chastity, actually, in churches and in schools in the in the Bay Area 
And it's grown from that into being a national nonprofit that educates millions. But the goal was always education. And so was it called Live Action from the start? Did you pick that name so early on? So when I was 14, it was called Pro-Life Club. <laughs> and, then, and then when the Pro-Life Club. And then when I was 15, um, we were brainstorming with some friends. And I just said, how about live action? Because I wanted it to be action-oriented. And I had a sense that media would be a big part of what we did. I wasn't fully sure what it would look like. This was before Facebook, keep in mind. Like Facebook, I think, yeah. was founded three years later and then YouTube at around the same time. So, But I had a sense that using media would be essential to our success to actually reach hearts and minds, like actually showing what abortion is, talking about fetal and embryonic development, showing videos. I, I knew that that was the way to reach my generation, people our age. And when YouTube happened and Facebook and everything else a few years later, that immediately became a vehicle for live action. Oh my gosh, that was like you were like, almost like predicting the future at that time <laughs> or something. I mean, because the name, it actually sounds like trendy is the wrong word, like modern, like it, like it belongs, you know, kind of in the cultural conversation right now. And yeah, then of course you guys have done just that and distinguished yourself as this really, um, visible, powerful group out there, even though there already were, you know, other pro-life groups out there, you guys have kind of risen up there, um, in a way, um, you're offering resources that other places are not offering. Like I have, I have actually, sent, um, I think a direct message to your, um, Twitter handle one time, just because I was like, you guys are doing such a great job. Like I'm loving all this stuff that you're putting out because it's so creative and it's so right on. And it's just, um, it's that visual aspect, I think. And that just really breaking it down in a simple way, not in any kind of like mean, like trying to demonize the other side kind of way, but just like, here is the reality of what's happening. We just want to make sure you're aware of it. Um, so how many people are on your media team that's creating some of these videos and graphics? So we have a small team. Our, our in-house team is about 15 people. And then we work with a ton of really talented contractors, writers, editors, um, you know, people who can film, people who design. Um, but the, the in-house team small. It's 15. We're a really tight team. We're East Coast and West Coast based based, but our online following is over 3 million. And then we're creating content every single day. Our live action news team is phenomenal. A lot of them are contractors. Um, and we actually invite people who want to get involved. If you've got a talent for writing and reporting, we, we work with a lot of independent um, writers. And that really makes, I think, a lot of the reporting powerful because while we have the in-house team, we have people who are in their communities who are, you know, know what's happening at the abortion clinic in town, you know, they're, they're yeah. tracking it, and they can report on it. And those stories can become national news stories. So um, yeah, it's just, it's very cool to see the power of a small team, but the impact it can have when you use media, I mean, media, you create, you create one video, but that video can be viewed by 50 million people. Right. And you've um, had, so, you guys have had yeah. a lot of those kinds of videos. I was going to say, even though we, we met uh, this year at the March for Life in DC, but I have, kind of followed your work for many years. And I, in fact, I remember that very first video that came out where you went undercover. You were like, must've been 19 or so. 
Yes, or 18, 19 or 19, yeah. Yeah, when you you went undercover at the Planned Parenthood and um, kind of did an expose there. And I was had just recently moved to D.C. at that time, and I was just getting involved in politics and just that whole world. And I remember that so clearly um, and then kind of watching that um, your your organization and your kind of profile rise over the years. When Did you ever have a moment when you thought, like you felt like you were almost like really out there yourself? Like you kind of felt like, wow, this has gotten really big. I feel like I'm getting a lot of attention. Did it ever feel overwhelming? There were definitely lots of little moments like that. I, the, the benefit, the one benefit is that kind of snowballed. So one little thing led to another and led to another and that prepared me for the next crazy thing. Mm -hmm. But I do remember, you know, when I was in college, you know, I think it was a freshman at the time or a sophomore getting a a lawsuit letter from Planned Parenthood. They were threatening to sue me for one of my videos. And this was before I had an organization of anybody full time. I didn't have a lawyer yet. I didn't really have a PR team, you know, I was right. a very student run organization. Um, and then I had my first national TV interview after that, I think a week later, again, my first time on, you know, table news or whatever. So th- those moments, and then my first death threat, you know, yeah. my first stalker, oh my gosh. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, not necessarily the best milestones, right? right. Um, they were all definitely eye opening, but they were all, I, I think it was also profoundly blessed because I have some people in my life very close to me, spiritual guides, as well as close friends and family who are very supportive. And I've been given the blessing of perspective where both when I through my through prayer and then the people close to me, this fight is not about me. It's not about live action. It's not about our team. It's about these children and the women and the families that are being harmed. And we get, we take some hits or we take some difficult challenges, but it's nothing compared to the people who are really hurting. Like this is about them. And I think Mm -hmm. that focus has really helped make the work uh, in some ways less daunting because we are not focused on ourselves. We're trying to focus on the other. So it changes the dynamic of of when we face challenges. Yeah. um, There's so many things I want to ask you, but the first thing I guess I'll hit on is um, you've heard this a million times, no doubt. Pro-lifers only care about babies until they're born. That is that always really bothers me (laughs) because um, I've been a pro-life activist myself since I was a kid and have always done so much in my own life to not only care for babies before they're born, but to do all that I can for women and families um, that are in vulnerable situations after the fact. How do you push back on those arguments when you hear that? Because it is one of the most common things that you get, that we hear thrown back in our faces. Yeah, that that we don't care about born children. Yeah. And, and but yeah. So, I mean, first of all, it always baffles me a little bit because it just shows that those on the abortion side, the pro-choice quote unquote side, they really don't understand the pro-life movement or the pro-life position. If I, you know, I can say what pro-choice or pro, pro-choice or pro-abortion people think, I don't think they can really say what pro-life people think, mm-hmm. um, which is why education is so key here. But the reality is the pro-life movement is extremely pro-child and pro-mother. We have thousands of pregnancy care centers. I've been privileged to volunteer at them and be involved with them. Um, not all of them, but some of them over the years. And they are supporting mothers with young children. They're supporting families. They're there to help find her a job. And they're there to provide baby clothes. And they're there to provide formula. And they're there to provide resources for her after the baby is born, you know, not just before. Um, and then the people I've, I've gotten to know in the pro-life movement, 
they're so pro-adoption, pro-fostering to adopt. I know so many families that are adopting, that have adopted in the pro-life movement. They are probably, I don't know that this study has ever been done, but they are the ones adopting children. They're the ones um, outside abortion clinics saying, I will adopt your child if you mm-hmm. don't abort this child. And they actually then do adopt that child. And they're the ones who are fostering kids and trying to foster to adopt. So this idea that the pro-life community doesn't care about children who are born is just completely false. And in my own life, I care very much about <laughs> kids who are born and have done different volunteer stuff over the years or whatever. But I think it's com- it's just completely unfair to say that in order to fight against abortion, in order to speak out against it, you have to somehow do these X, Y, Z things that some pro-choice advocate says gives you the credibility to yeah. be against abortion. I think that that's a complete falsehood. It's like saying to someone, if you are against homelessness and you're trying to solve the problem of homelessness, you need to personally make your house into a homeless shelter. Or if you're against animal cruelty, you have to adopt all the animals who might face animal cruelty. I mean, yes, that's a tool in the tool mm-hmm. toolbox for sure, but it's not the only one. Yeah. And another one that comes out a lot is you hear people saying that that uh, we're trying to legislate faith. And cr- even Chris Cuomo last week, you probably saw this on Twitter, tried to say, well, I know the pro-life argument is just mostly about faith. And while it is, I mean, I'm sure you would agree as a Christian, sure, like we value human life and we were created by God, but I've always thought of it more from the science side myself. And it sometimes seems to me that uh, the other side is almost, it just seems like they're denying the reality of science sometimes. Um, How do you, I guess my question for you is why and how do you think people do this, that they are, the science is there, the pictures, the things that you guys are putting out there are there. So, so how do you respond to the argument that this is about faith and not science? Well, I would say certainly people of faith should be very pro-life. And I believe that we're created by, we're endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, which our declaration of independence says in the first right is life. But the reality of abortion and the facts of human life are not matters of faith. They're matters of science and fact. And you look at the, 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 the biology of when human life begins, and it is a fact that it begins At the beginning, it begins at the moment of fertilization when a a sperm fuses with an egg, and then you have a single cell embryo that just that is completely unique and individual, a human life that needs time and nourishment to grow. So that is a simple fact, and any biology book will tell you that, any textbook will tell you that, that talks about embryology, the development of human life. So there's no argument. I find it very insincere or at least misleading when pro-choice advocates say, you're just saying this because you're religious. Because in the pro-life movement, there's atheists and agnostics and people of all different political persuasions and backgrounds. And they all acknowledge the same simple fact of when life begins and the reality that abortion takes that human life. So absolutely, if you're a person of faith, you should be hardcore pro-life, but you don't have to be a person of faith to be hardcore pro-life. Right. Absolutely. Not something that I uh, wanted to hear how you deal with. I mean, when you're immersed in this, um, this conversation every single day, you're out there on social media and your um, daily life, you're doing media, you're going on TV shows and podcasts and radio interviews and constantly people are seeking your opinion on this stuff. Um, do you ever get, you know, kind of weary in the fight? Like, 
like it, it, I can I can find it very heartbreaking and overwhelming sometimes. Do you ever deal with that? I definitely deal with that, especially when I see some of the vitriol and the hatred of of people who say this is a parasite, it's a blood clot, and you know I love abortion, shout my abortion. It can just seem just brutal and the the callousness, the ability of the human heart to just reject compassion and reject seeing the humanity of another human is, is heartbreaking. So yes, it's definitely an emotional fight and it's, you sense that. And I know the team that I work with does, and I know everyone in the public movement at one point or another, they feel that because you're dealing with life and death and you're dealing with really brutal acts against children and you're dealing with a lot of pain that women face afterwards that no one wants to talk about you're dealing with men that face pain but I would say despite all of that we are also dealing with something really beautiful and good which is every life that's saved (laughs) and we see lives saved all the time and that gives us the the courage and the conviction to keep going even when it can be very heartbreaking and, and overwhelming at times. Um, yeah, that's, that's so true. And it seems to me from what I'm reading statistically that the nation is becoming more pro-life. Are you seeing that as well? And how has the, how has the tide turned for you? How have you seen it change in the past 15 years? It has definitely changed. It's been really awesome to see. I think first of all, what's changed is in 15 years, just the um, access to information that people have. 15 years ago, there was very, we didn't have the inter- a lot of the internet, you know, social media didn't exist. So you had the mainstream media and then you had the education system, which is very pro-abortion. Most of it, most of the, all the public schools are pro-abortion. It's brainwashing kids. So that was where people got their information. Now with social media, there's alternate ways to get information besides the traditional gatekeepers. And the impact of that, Erica, is the abortion rate has gone down in, and that's in no small part because women are choosing life more than ever before. Um, also, public opinion has changed and it's actually changed in some ways sharply, especially among millennials and Gen Z. The, the large majority of Americans want abortion restrictions. They think that uh, the majority of Americans think that abortion is immoral. Um, hardly, there's a very small percentage that actually agree with the Democratic Party on abortion, which wants abortion through all nine months to be legal for any reason. So, and some of the recent polling shows as much as a 15% jump in from past polls in public opinion just this year. And I think that's a result of a lot of groundswell that the public movement is seeing a 15% jump in people who are considering themselves for abortion restrictions or pro-life. So there's a, there's a lot that is changing right now. And it's the result of years of momentum building in education and the movement growing. And then now these pro-life laws that are being passed in states like Alabama and Georgia and Mississippi, where the debate is coming to the surface and people are saying, wow, these are, they're having that discussion. Is this a human life? And if it is, if he or she is, then maybe we should be protecting her. And it's also the, the backlash from the abortion side. I mean, New York trying to light up the World Trade Center pink and passing this extreme abortion law, abortion through all nine months, and even potentially post-birth abortion, I think that also has really shaken people and made them reconsider, maybe I am pro-life. Yeah, and I don't think many people realize that there, is it seven other states that already have abortion legal through nine months of pregnancy? Yes. 
Yeah, I think many people thought New York was the first one, and I'm like, no, this has been around. This is not new, um, but it did get it did get the attention of the nation, and so I think that's a good thing for people to realize how extreme um, it has gotten in some places. Um, I know you don't have a lot of time left, Lila, so let me just ask you, um, what is your hope for live action, and what is your hope? What what do you hope to see? I guess in your lifetime on this issue. Well, the hope for the larger movement is to see a, a complete cultural shift so that the, the upcoming generations are strongly pro-life. Abortion becomes this horrific thing of the past where the idea of killing an embryo, of killing a baby in the womb is just disgust, is seen as disgusting. And we have a mindset shift on pregnancy, motherhood, and even sex where we're not looking at it as pregnancy and motherhood as something that is bad or negative or harmful and we're how we have stronger human relationships so we're not just again have this environment of just sex whenever you want however you want it and kids are completely not a part of that people aren't happy with that we know that i mean the me too movement is the greatest excess of the of the sexual revolution mm-hmm. it's a reaction to it saying not treating each other with respect sexually is hurtful so i think that's going to shift i think that public opinion is shifting and will continue to shift in a big way. And I do think Roe is going to be effectively overturned. We're going to have a new precedent in town. I think the Supreme Court will rule on a new abortion case in the next few years. I don't know if it's going to be with the current composition of the court. It might be after there's another Supreme Court justice that is nominated and confirmed after maybe one of the existing ones retire or there's a different change. And if that were to take place, I think, and I think it will in the next few years, that will change the legal precedent. So we're going to see cultural shifts and we're going to see a a huge change in the legal precedent, which will mean there will be legal protection for the preborn as well. And live actions role in all of that is to continue to educate, educate and activate people. So our plans are very aggressive. We have, we are reaching millions of people every week. We're planning to grow so we can reach tens of millions of people weekly and to do national and local rallies and events to continue and conferences to educate people to continue to build the momentum that the movement is seeing. That's awesome. I love that. You have so much passion and inspiration packed into your words that I can tell that that stuff is all going to happen. Um, (laughs) So right before you leave, I always like to ask folks if they've read, have you read any good books lately? I know you don't have a lot of time for that, but have you read any good books lately? (laughs) And are you loving any podcasts lately? Since you started one, I thought maybe you were into them yourself. Yes. I I mean, if if I'm a smart podcaster, I should be into other podcasts. So there's your podcast. So now I've got a new one. Oh, good. Thanks. (laughs) Um, And there's a spiritual one I really like that I've been recommending to friends lately called Spiritual Batteries. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different. It's not political. It's not really like a how-to or anything. But it's basically these these little sermons by this beautiful priest who has this beautiful soul. And they're very edifying. So I actually listen to those when I'm, you know, trying to do prayer time or have some time to just meditate. I find them very, very uh, enriching. So that's the Spiritual Batteries podcast. And then for books, um, what have I read recently that I've really liked for a book? I am reading What to Expect When You're Expecting. Well, you got to <laughs> read that one. I mean, that's that's required. The classic, not to sound like a total mom. Which no, I everybody reads to. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the classic. Um, but yeah, I try to read a lot of business books. Mm-hmm. I find those really helpful. Um, there's a new Jim Collins book out. I just blanked on the name, but that's on my bookshelf or on my, um, 
on my immediate to-do list for books right now. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of another book I read recently that I really liked. Um, oh, that's spiritual okay. Books. Yeah. Well, go ahead. If you thought <laughs> I, of one, go ahead. Well, just for spiritual books, there's a, a author called Jacques Philippe. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are looking again on the spiritual side, I find that's a very good counterpart to the constant, yeah. you know, politics, cultural debate. But um, Jacques Philippe is a beautiful spiritual writer, and he writes a lot of books. But some of the ones that I highly recommend would be in the school of the if you're a Christian in the school of the Holy Spirit or searching for and maintaining peace. That's a big one. Searching for and maintaining peace because. It is um, yeah, basically a guidebook for how to be peaceful in the middle yeah. of, the, of the, the crazy world we live in. You definitely have to balance out your uh, media interests and choices when you're kind of living in a somewhat political and po- policy-driven world. I definitely understand how that is. Totally. Totally, yeah. And it helps, it helps to have a variety, but the, the spiritual stuff, we are spiritual beings, and I think having that connection to God through prayer and then just through reading, whether it's the Bible or reading spiritual things, I think that's very, and a very important part of uh, just growing as people. So, yes. All right, Lila. Well, thank you so much. I know you've got to get off to some other stuff and you're over on the West coast. So it's still early for you while it's late for me. So um, <laughs> thank you so much for taking a few minutes to talk with me today. I'm excited to actually listen to the first half of your first episode of the podcast today. So I will be subscribing and encourage everyone else to listen. And uh, thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, Erica. Thanks for chatting with me. It's been lovely right. to talk. You too. Bye. Well, guys, that conversation did cover some heavy stuff, and we didn't even get to a lot of the questions I wanted to ask her if we were short on time. So I'm sure if you want to hear more from Lila, you can just find some of that on her new podcast and by following her on social media. Thanks for listening in on our conversation today, and I can't wait to catch up with you next Tuesday. See you then. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's M.A. in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.